You know, it's really frustrating when you have things that look like pockets, but they're not. I mean, what use is that? What kind of stylish thing is that? You know, love is kind of like that, is that what's the point if it doesn't act? If it doesn't have a function? Jesus was teaching his disciples that they are to love one another, they are to love enemies, people who persecute them, who spitefully use them. And he was talking about this the night before he's going to be crucified. And he's telling them this is how you're going to know, that people are going to know that you're a disciple because you love. And interesting enough, even in this context, the disciples still are arguing with one another about which one is going to get the best corner seat in the office, so to speak. Which one is going to get the best position. And in this context of trying to tell the disciples, this is what it means to follow me, Jesus does something. He serves them in an extravagant way. He becomes not just the face of a pocket, but something of service. Love looks like service. John 13 is where we're going to look at this morning to see how he displays service. Uh, Gary Chapman in his book, The Five Love Languages, talks about the acts of service being one of the primary ways we express and understand love. Words of affirmation is one of them. Gifts is another. Time, quality time with people, touch. Uh, But acts of service is one of them. And And for many of us, that is a a common one, that we understand love by serving. We know we're loved by the fact that we have been served. And so much of our life is pursuit of getting as many people to service as we can. Isn't that corporate life? How many people are underneath you to serve your call, and your direction. But Jesus says it's not to be loved, but to love. And so he turns the tables entirely. He says, if you want to rise in the kingdom, it's going to be how many people you serve. And so he gives them a powerful example, and it it is to tell us that when we see this example of washing feet, it is letting us know that he would have done the same if we were sitting there too. You get that? If Jesus was here and he wanted to teach you how to serve, he would take your shoes and socks off and wait till after you've been running in them for a while and then wash those feet. He would do that. And so we might respond similar to some of the disciples. So we're going to look at why Jesus did that. To teach us a kneeling love. We're going through the commands of Christ. We've been looking at the major commands and the distinctives of these commands. And we saw that the first distinctive is that sacrifice is involved and surrender is involved and listening is involved. And this is the giving in part that when we're going to follow Jesus, we have to surrender. We have to sacrifice. We have to listen or we're not following Jesus. Call it something else. But don't call it following Jesus unless we're surrendering and sacrificing and listening. And then following up after that is the obeying part. We are to obey 
we're to abide in the presence of Jesus, abide in his love, abide in his word, to dwell in that. That's the primary force that is shaping us. And we, the Holy Spirit was involved in that as we looked at light and that we're commanded to show light and let the light shine in us. And so that is uh, the uh, giving up and giving in. And now, last week, we st- we're starting the giving out phase with love. And so we're loving. And what does love look like? It looks like serving, which we'll be talking about this morning. And so, how do we serve? Or what can free us up to serve? To have a kneeling saver is going to free us up uh, to serve, having a kneeling saver. And so, let's look at John chapter 13. We're going to look at verses uh, 1 through 17. And if you will stand with me as we read this together, John 13, verse 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper... When the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, Do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You may be seated. Serving one another is a critical part of being in a church. Remember, church is a collection of followers of Jesus. And so he gives us very frequent instructions on what it means to serve one another. And just a few from scriptures, we got the, the washing one another's feet and, and all that that symbolizes. Romans 12.10, we are to prefer one another and their desires, their needs, and that's be in a church, that we are to prefer one another. I I heard someone say, and this is incidental, uh, but someone said recently, I I had heard, that, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful 
if young people in listening and singing in church ever once in a while said, aren't the drums too loud for the older folks? And wouldn't it be wonderful if the older folks in church would say, don't the songs need to be a little bit newer? I heard that statement someone said, and I thought, what a beautiful example of a practical way of what it means to prefer one another. That's just an incidental thing, <laughs> all right? Romans twelve sixteen, be of the same mind one to another. Romans fourteen thirteen, do not judge one another. Romans fifteen seven, receive one another. Romans fifteen fourteen, admonish one another. First Thessalonians five eleven, edify one another. Galatians six two, bear one another's burdens. James five sixteen, confess your faults one to another. First Peter four nine, use hospitality one to another, and these are just to begin with. And so, what certainly is implied is that you cannot obey Jesus unless you are with one another to do these. And that's why church is, is a, a necessary component of what it means to follow Jesus. You have to be with one another to obey the commands of Jesus. And so, uh, what can give us the freedom to serve? Because as I think about this, and, and I'm reading through the lessons of serving, and that this is a, a command of Jesus, a, an imperative, it means for me to follow Jesus, means I must serve people i have problems with that i i have find difficulty with that and so that's with people i love <laughs> you know i have difficulty with that but much less people i don't know and jesus has called me to love the folks that don't like me i started reasons uh, listing out some reasons why i don't serve see if the, any of these sound familiar reason number one i don't serve it's not my problem. Okay? That's, uh, that's their problem. That's not my problem. Someone else should take the fall for that. Number two, I don't have the resources. Time, money, talent. talent. I don't have the resources. Number three, it's beneath me. My image. It's beneath me. Number four, it's going to hinder my progress of where I want to go. Number five, I don't want to get involved in something messy. You ever said that? You realize how much it's going to cost me and what mess is going to be? They are going to be constantly calling me if I help them. It's, it's messy. They need, number six, they need to learn to do better. And so I'm not going to help them because this is a learning for them. That sounds good, doesn't it? Um, number seven, I want them to suffer. That takes a little bit of honesty. I want them to suffer. It's their sin. They need to suffer. And I was thinking through, and you might have some more, but these are just some of those that come to my mind. Why I don't serve. Maybe you can identify with these, or maybe it's just me, <laughs> and you're just going to listen in to my confession. Um, but I'm thinking that some of you can join me in this. John 13 just seems to slam down every single one of them. As I read this passage and I see what Jesus does and why he does it, he attacks all of these reasons. And so I want to look at some of the key verses in John 13 that speak to why Jesus is serving. And 
perhaps maybe we can learn a few lessons that empower, so to speak, that free us up to serve, that no longer these reasons hinder us. So as we read this, I want you to notice just what it says right there from the beginning. Verse 1, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world. It just tells me how important this is. Jesus is knowing these are the last few hours he has with the disciples, and he is going to do something that matters in these last few hours. This shows the importance of service, that in that last moment, he washes their feet. So knowing that this is coming, that, that he's to depart out of this world into the Father, having loved his own which were into the world, he loved them unto the end, and so he's showing them, this is how I'm going to show you that I love you. All right? Um, th- this is where it comes in, that whole point. This is love in action looks like service. Love looks like service. And Jesus is telling them, I've told you before, I'm telling you again, but I'm going to do this in such a way that you understand and you get it. I am for you. You, know, you need to perhaps know the extent of this. Uh, if, if I was to uh, ask you to take your shoes and socks off, it would be embarrassing, uh, perhaps, because, you know, some of us hadn't had our pedicure. Uh, and so uh, they, the nails may not look as nice uh, as, as others. Perhaps some of us have a fungus or something, you know. Uh, but it, it has nothing in comparison to what life was like then. Uh, most of us have some uh, covering uh, covering our toes, and most of us didn't have to walk here in uh, a dusty path or in mud. Uh, and, and so most of us have probably have had a bath, at least washed our feet in the last 24 hours at some point. Uh, and so it's not quite the same deal, is it? Now, none of those things are guaranteed in Jesus' day. Uh, they uh, were walking streets where there's open sewer, uh, where there's dust, mud, and they would not have coverings over their, their feet. They had not had ba- baths in a while. It would have stunk. And then they got to eat. All right, that, that's probably perhaps one of the reasons why they ate and <laughs> reclined the way they did. Uh, they did it with their feet away from the table, and they leaned up on their elbows facing the table. That, that would have been a very good reason why uh, right there. Um, but nonetheless, that's the time. In fact, it was such a, a menial, dirty task that even some of the slaves were not expected to do this. If you were a Jewish slave, then you were not necessarily expected to wash the feet. Now, if you're a Gentile slave, like most of us are Gentiles, then fair game. Hey, you are inferior enough where you could wash their feet as a slave. But a Jewish slave was not necessarily expected to do that. And so Jesus is taking this task uh, that is uh, not even what slaves would have done. And here he is doing it. And so he does this because he loved them. The disciples knew in just a powerful way that Jesus was for them. Jesus, Do you understand how much Jesus is for you? That he would do this and, and did this for the disciples? Now, it seems like John seems to go out of the way for you to get the attention of one particular disciple that was there. Who was it? Judas. John goes out of the way to make sure you understand Judas is here. And he he's very clear that you understand that not only was he here, but he doesn't leave till sometime after 
Jesus washes Judas's feet. And it makes it very clear that Jesus was aware of Judas and his betrayal. And yet, Jesus washes Judas's feet. Doesn't that astound you? And that lets me know that he would wash my feet too. He would wash my feet too. Jesus, or Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of sil- silver, but I betrayed Jesus for far less than that. Have you? Nonetheless, Jesus washes his feet. And so, uh, then it goes on, and I think the, uh, that's a, a very important part. He loved them. He loved them. What, you remember what it means to love? It is to sacrifice for the needs of someone else and to do so joyfully. Jesus sacrificed for the needs of the disciples and did so joyfully for their uh, eternal glory. <laughs> for their eternal glory. And so he does that. And now verse, verse 2, uh, or go to verse 3, it gives us some more clues. Jesus, Jesus knowing... No, he knows a few things. He knows that the Father had given him all things into his hands. He knows that he's come from God. He knows that he's going to God, that he went to God. And then it says he rises from supper and takes this, the servant's role. It's phrased in such a way that verse 3 is saying, this is kind of a participle, he, he takes the servant's role knowing these three things. This is his motivation. This is what frees him to do the, the servant act and then in verse 14 he tells us we're going to do the same thing all right so it's important jesus this is the purpose of my life is to serve to serve you and so first of all let's look at jesus how he did it jesus served knowing god's resources he knew God's resources. He said in verse 3, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, he washed the disciples' feet. Have you ever figured out what the connection is? What is it about Jesus knowing that he's got all this authority, all these resources, how does that free him up to serve people? Remember one of those reasons I said that we don't serve, that I don't serve? Because I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the talent. Jesus knew he had all authority from God. So he has all authority of God, and yet we say, I don't have the time, I don't have the talent, I don't have the resources. Anybody see a contradiction here? You see, it is trusting in what God is going to provide for us to do what he's called us to do, and he's called us to serve. How many times did it happen in Jesus' life that interruptions happened that demanded his time? You're going to find that most of God's activity is not going to happen in what you plan to do. The activities of God are going to happen in the interruptions of life when you've got that crisis of thought thing, I don't have time for this. I don't have uh, the, the budget for this. And God said, well, that's good, because I do. The Father has the provision for that. Uh, you know, it's, it's only when we have candy and we've got an ample supply of candy that we are willing to put the candy on the desk, right? Or perhaps, you know, you don't need the candy. You got more than enough. But, you know, when it comes, we, we discovered an Amish place this past weekend here in Nightdale. And, uh, and it's like, man, you know, we've got a supply coming in. 
But if you don't come here Friday morning, it's allowed to be gone by Saturday. And so I told my family about that. And I said, all right. But you know what that's produced in me? A, a desire not to share the sourdough bread. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of reluctant even that I shared this information with you guys. Because now you're going to go in and, and, like, and where was this place at? You know, uh, they have some great donuts. Uh, but, you know, why do we do that? Because we think there's just a limited amount of resources. We've got to understand that God gives us a few things, but there is a whole heavenly throne room of resources and authority that he says, I'm going to ask that you live by faith. And faith is to believe in the not yet and the unseen. Can we live by faith and to say, okay, I'm going to give this time. I've got a limited amount of time. I'm going to give these resources out of acts of service to someone else, and I'm trusting in God enabling me to do all that he's called me to do, even though I've got less time. But why are we going to do anything apart from what God wants us to do anyway? That's why I, one of the things I've said is, is, you know, I don't know, I don't always have time to mow my grass, and, and much less most someone else's grass. When I look at it like that, I, I think I, I can't do that, but I do have time to make disciples. And what if making disciples requires that I serve them in such tangible, time-consuming ways? Then I have time for that because I'm under God's authority. Jesus had time to wash the disciples. I mean, think about it. He's about to die. And they're sitting there, and they got nasty, grubby feet, and they're about to take part of the Passover. Couldn't Jesus say, you know what, they're going to take care of that. They know how to wash their feet anyway. No, you see, the point wasn't just that their feet was clean, but they learned something in this. And so he has all authority. And he says, and he says I'm going to do something so menial that I'm going to wash their feet. I'm going to ask God to fill this with eternal meaning. Do you know that you can take something temporal that will have to be done again the next day, like clean someone's room or something like that, and you can take it and it can have eternal meaning when you do it by faith and ask God to fill it with a spiritual lesson, it can have eternal meaning. That's what Jesus does here. He, he serves knowing God's resources. It frees us up for that. People feel like they have to fend for themselves to survive. Believers trust God for their survival. So their energy can be used for others. We're not asking people to enable us to do what God wants. But God himself is doing it in us, working it in us. And so that, that's an important lesson here that we can see in this, that, it, that serving God is to serve other people, which means that we depend on God's resources. And it frees us up from our pettiness of thinking, I don't know if I've got enough time in my candy jar to serve someone else. You see, love is, is not just tolerance. I'm going to tolerate people. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, it, remember in Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You know what's interesting about that is the word fruit is singular. Now, most of us in grammar know that you're not supposed to describe plural things with a singular word. Fruit, love, joy, peace, patience. Shouldn't it be fruits of the Spirit? Look it up. It doesn't have an S. Fruit. Why? Well, see, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control all come together 
when it's done by the Holy Spirit. What we get is the Holy Spirit produced change in our life, multifaceted but singular, we become Christ-like. See, sometimes we can be patient for a little while, but we're really not loving. All we are is perhaps we lack courage to be bold and say something, or we don't want to be mean, but really what we're doing is we're storing it up until some other time when we're by ourselves and we're going to let loose. Now, is that really the fruit of the Spirit of love? Does, is that a love with joy? <laughs> no, you're simmering on the inside. The fruit of the Spirit is the love with a joy, with a peace, with a patience, with the kindness, with the self-control. It, it, it is, comes together. And so we have God's resources to do this. And so this authority that Jesus is talking about, that's why Matthew 28, 19 and 20 is so huge when he says, all authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all people, of all nations. This authority, this resource, this spirit work is now what is in Jesus is now given to us that's why we have to abide in the holy spirit that's why we have to listen we have to let the light of christ it is all intermingled together now something else here as we read uh, verse three that was the first uh first uh promise that frees us up is seeing how we serve knowing god's resources how jesus himself knowing the father had given him all things was able to do this but we see also in verse three he had given all things into his hands and that he was come from god Jesus knew that he came from God. And somehow, knowing that he came from God, freed him up to take on the service role. How does knowing that you come from God free you to wash dirty feet of Jesus? See, some of the reasons that we don't serve is that we'll say, what's beneath me? It's beneath me. uh, It'll mess up my image. or It will hinder me. You see, Jesus got his identification from whom he belonged to. Can you see how that makes a difference in your workplace? Your identification isn't based on who you hang out with and who uh, have high reputation, high influence. That's not where your identity comes from. That can be easily taken away. So it's not by who you hang out with but to whom you belong. Your identity isn't based on what responsibility you have. You know, you you get a high level of responsibility, high level of importance, you get higher jobs. And so, you know, you get higher jobs, that means, okay, I'm I'm more important. You need to respect me. Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to take the menial job that even some of the slaves here don't do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be free to do it because this isn't my identity. My identity comes from the fact that I come from God. (laughs) You see how this happens when we are believers in Jesus Christ? That we come from God, that we have this this source, this identity from Him, not in how we serve and not serve. Can you see how this is different from the world that we live in? He's asking me vastly different. The Milan Cathedral was dedicated, and a little girl cried out in glee. She said, I I helped to build that, as she pointed at it. A nearby soldier didn't believe her and asked her, how on earth did you help build that cathedral? So, well, I carried the dinner pail to my father who worked on it. Thus, I helped build that. You see, it wasn't the, the level 
of difficulty of the task. It was the fact that she understood that everything was needed for this to happen. When we serve God and we serve others with the ultimate goal of serving God, it doesn't matter the level of task. It's about the fact that it's unto him. You know, I was looking through the, um, the bulletin. And there's basically two categories. Everything that's listed in here. That's quite a few things. Let's listen. There's two categories. There is either those opportunities where you can get filled up, and then there's those opportunities where you can serve. Look at every single one of these. Is some opportunity where either you can get filled up where you can get spiritually nourished through fellowship and teaching, or you can serve. I mean, this whole right-hand side is almost entirely service. I think that was enough, so we put another insert in here on the SALT team. The only way that all this busy stuff, and it can be just busy stuff, if you're not careful. The only way all this busy stuff can be of any lasting value is that we understand that it is of God and for God. And so, you say, yeah, I'll change some diapers. I'll work up in the booth and help with the video. I'll help with this cutting grass. I help with this town of Nightdale. It is of serving the Lord that flows out of loving people and loving the Lord. If you don't have that, then you're going to suffer in the serving part. And if you're suffering in the loving part, perhaps it's, it flows from the fact that we're not abiding in the Lord, or we're not obeying the Lord, or we're not letting the light of the Holy Spirit of Christ shining in us. Perhaps, maybe that's it. And if that's the problem, maybe it's because there's a lack of surrender, or a lack of sacrifice, or a lack of listening to God. You see how they all flow? And one of the things we try to do is we go straight to the service. As soon as we become Christians, we're going to say, okay, I'm going to get rid of the bad stuff, the major big things. I'm going to study the Bible, and I'm going to start serving the church. Within two years, you're burnt out. I'm tired. And part of the problem is that we jumped right to the end of what it means to follow Christ without spending time abiding and what, knowing what it means to abide in Christ, of listening to Christ. Just because you know the Bible doesn't mean you're listening to the Lord. And so all these work together. And so I just want to bring out that the bulletin is always filled with service activities. And they're meant to glorify God, but it only flows out of a heart that is following Jesus for it to work. And so we serve knowing God's call. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, I've come not to be ministered unto, but to minister. In other words, I, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. You know, you could take the crystal glasses you could take certain crystal glass, and you can figure out what tone of sound that crystal glass can, can emanate, can project out, by taking a tuning fork. And if it has the same sound that that crystal glass, you can strike that tuning fork, and that vibrations will come back, and there's a, a like nature in that crystal glass that will reverberate back to the tuning fork. It's an amazing thing. Get some glasses, you can find the right tuning fork, and figure out what sound it makes. You see... 
Jesus is giving this example, and he's striking the tuning fork by washing disciples' feet. And he says, if there is a like nature in you, it's going to come back. It's going to come back to God. But he is the first one to strike the sound. And this is just the beginning of washing the feet. That's just a symbol of what's going to be on the cross when he dies for them. And so, as we keep on reading, notice what else he says. Jesus, knowing, knowing that the Father had given all things, he served, and then knowing that he was coming from God, served, and then knowing that he, was, that he went to God, that he was coming to God, he served. You know, one of the reasons that we don't serve is because if we say simply, well, you know what, it's, it's going to get in the way of really what I want to do. What is it you really want to do? Jesus says, I'm really going to glorify God. I'm going to God. And, and I'm sure of my destination. And so I have no problem whatsoever associating with the guy that's going to betray me and washing his feet because I know where I'm going. I am sure of my destiny. Do you understand that to be a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus has given us every promise to understand that to be with him is to follow him, and that means not just in this life, but in times to come, that where he is, there you will be also, in his presence. And so Jesus is simply saying, you know what? Don't worry about this. This frees you up to serve people. You know what's what I'm very thankful for? I'm thankful that this church has seen fit to put money in for retirement for me. That's, that's going to be, some of you retired, you know how valuable that is. And the church has agreed to do that. But you know what it allows us to do? Because the church has been willing to do that, it frees us up to take care of present needs around us. What Jesus is saying is, don't worry about your future. I've got it. It's good. It's going to be glorifying to God. I've got it. Just trust me in this and just allow your time, your ability to be given to the needs of those around you. John 14 says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to make a great name. You don't have to worry about whether your reputation is going to be good in a church or in your business or in your family. You don't have to worry about your name. It's the example of John the Baptist when when Jesus was rising in his fame and John was going down. He simply said, he must increase and I must decrease. And that was the attitude that John the Baptist had. And so as we look at this, we're going we're gonna to make disciples. God has called you to make disciples. We're going to make disciples in Nightdale and community and, and your, your family perhaps. And perhaps someone else is going to rise in influence. Maybe you're going to see someone, you're going to teach them, and they're going to become great disciples, better the disciples than you. And then we're going to think, you know what, they, they, they can't do anything apart from me. Why, why? And we're going to get jealous. We don't have to be jealous. Because we are headed to God. And it is about Him. What if we make disciples and they don't go to Green Pines Baptist? It'll happen. 
But that is no reason to stop making disciples, is it? Because nowhere in the Bible does it say that the kingdom of God is titled Green Pines Baptist. Our Baptist. It's about Jesus, isn't it? And so we make disciples. doesn't matter. They may, go, they may go to some other church, but they're not making disciples yet. Take the time and invest in them. Showing them what it means to serve. Serving them and doing this. Here's one of the challenges that's going to come. Right now I'm working on, on some and meeting with them. And one of the hardest things that I've come across so far is when they say to me, I want to learn. Show me. I want to meet. I want to let's talk about some of these stories you're talking about. You know what the hardest thing is? Meeting. Finding the time to meet. Okay, you kidding me? All right, well, let's do it. Let's do, I want to do it. Let's do it Sunday. Well, uh, uh, okay, I can't do it Sunday. All right, and, and, and I can look through, and my life can be so busy doing good things that I can't do the one thing that Jesus has asked me to do. Love God, love people by making disciples. Isn't that something how that happens in church? Now, you know I'm a pastor, so you know what a good portion of my time is doing, right? Church stuff. Church stuff. We have to be careful. When you're doing so many church things that you are not making disciples, then we've lost it. Something's off. But it's going to be the point of service right here is when you simply have to make the time to meet with them. Because it's going to cut in something. You're going to have to cheat something to be able to make disciples. But Jesus is simply saying, you know what? He did it. He washed the disciples' feet. He served people. He did it knowing where he was going. Knowing that everything was given to him. Knowing where he came from. And it freed him up so that he could wash disciples' feet. You know, one of the things that I looked at, and, and the most prevalent problem I have that keeps me from serving is when I say, well, it's not really my problem. You know, there's some reason why they're living homeless. There's some reason why they don't have enough food to eat. There's something that, there's some fault. And why do I have to pay the price for their fault? If you think about that, every time you're going to serve, it's going to be something like that. There's a lack. Someone's got to step up, but there's a lack because someone didn't do as they should. Have you noticed that? I notice that all the time at my house because I've got a four-year-old that has no clue about the sense of everything has a home. Grabs it, walks around, leaves it, and I look at it, I don't even know what it is, much less where it goes. And there's stuff scattered all over our yard. I'm like, after a while, it gets a little annoying. Because I could call them and say, hey, you left this here. Put it back. And he'll look at me like, what are you talking about? I don't know why that thing's there. He didn't even remember playing with it, much less where it goes. And it's so frustrating. You know, just every day. You know, some, some of you are there. You know this. And it's like, I've got to pay 
the price. Or someone's got to pay the price. And he isn't able to pay the price. <laughs> it's frustrating. I want him to pay the price. It's not my problem. It's not my mess. It never is your mess. It never is. But someone has to pay. You know, the whole idea, take the fall, the fall guy. What does that mean? It, it came out of the early 1900s, late 1800s. It, it was really talking about going to prison, falling, your social status, you're in prison. And so someone is the fall guy. Someone says, you know, who, who can this fall upon so that the one who's guilty doesn't have to pay the price? Isn't that something? So there was even a fall fund. <laughs> well, if you were perhaps uh, uh, in the right network, you knew someone was going to prison for you, so you create a fund for them to be able to pay as they got out of prison. You know what Jesus does? He becomes the fall guy. Someone had to wash the disciples' feet. The, the slaves wouldn't do it. The disciples evidently weren't going to do it. Did Jesus have to do it? No, he didn't have to do it. He chose to do it. He wanted to do it. And it is a picture of what he does for us on the cross. Because the simple fact is, is that we have all have messed up. And Jesus serves us knowing that we could not pay the price. And if someone had to pay, he takes the fall. And thought of us above all, didn't he? That's ministry. That's serving somebody. As you take the fall, you take the hit because someone messed up. Now, is that fair? Is that right for you to take the hit for someone else's mistake? No, but thank God. Thank God it's not fair because Jesus took it for you unfairly. And that spirit we abide in empowers us, frees us, drives us. To see someone else, yes, they made a mistake, but you willingly sacrifice for their eternal glory. And you do it joyfully. Why? Because it's a way to show the love of Christ. You see how it flows? I'm not calling us to do better. I'm calling us to think of one who is better. And let that one work in our life. So no, this isn't fun. It's not fun to serve. But it is fun to know the love of God and show the love of God. Yeah, it's, it's a lot more fun making disciples. It's not fun helping there in their yard work. But it is fun to obey God, knowing that He is aware and that he loves us, and he's going to give us all that we need to follow him. So as we are called to make disciples, we might be asked as a church, you know, we're working together in this thing, we might be asked, hey, can anybody in your church call and spend an hour reading with some children in Kings Park? And the church that has the love of God and they're abiding in that love, will not shrink back from such request. Because it's a way to love and make disciples. 
We might get asked to do stuff in our town, and we may think, you know what, I cannot for the life of me figure out how doing something for the 4th of July for our town, is that really in the the call of a church to do? I mean, are are we going to, how is that connected with making disciples? We do it because we've been asked, and it's a way to demonstrate to the whole town our love for the town and our desire to make disciples. It's a way to love God. It's a way to love them. We might be asked to pray for a school that is underperforming and struggling, and we will, because it's a way to serve. And that's just our church-wide stuff, and I'm not even talking about the thousands of requests that have come to each one of us individually. Now, you may say, well, Pastor, do you know how many times I get requests to do something? I cannot do everything. No. Nor should you do everything. And that's why you better back it on up to one of the first disciplines of listening. Listening. There's a whole world of need, but you're to listen to what God is instructing you to do. And once you listen, you better go to the next step of following Jesus, and that is obey Him. And abide in him and let the light shine in you so that it becomes eternally fruitful. You follow me here? So worship isn't just what we do right now, is it? It's how we live our life in service unto the Lord. Let's pray.